And I apologize for the jokes. The laminator. Get to the shearing. This ain't going to get any better, is it? Nope. All right, here we go. Today is Monday, February 15th, 2016, and this is episode 149 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Callett. Hello, Jerry. How are you, sir? I am wonderful. How are you? I am doing pretty well. Happy Monday to you. Likewise. We made it we through sur- another one. We survived another Monday. It's... Uh... Hopefully your weekend went well, and at least in the U.S. we had this silly thing called Valentine's Day. But I think you sent your uh, your wife out of town for Valentine's Day, didn't oh, you? She left me. So, <laughs> well, whoever had uh, February twenty sixteen square for when Jerry gets left by his wife, there please come no, pick up your winnings. They went on vacation, so. Oh, oh, yeah. Never mind. Whatever. Without you, they went. Wait, they went without you. Yeah. Well, I have dog. I've got a dog to take care of and work and oh, all that stuff. Man. Well, you get to podcast with me. That that's almost worth it. Exactly right. Exactly yeah. right. Uh, and by the way, the thoughts and opinions we express on the show are ours and do not represent those of our employer. And that's particularly important tonight. And you will understand why shortly. So. Uh, so, Andy, I have, a, I have a question for you. Okay, I'm ready. What's your question, Jerry? So, you know, all of these APTs, right, that, that, that we are, uh, we're, we're so used to, right, you know, who, who do we think perpetrates those, right? Who's, you know, who's, the general, who's generally attributed as pulling those off? Uh, you mean like North Korea? Yeah, other, well, I mean, like generally, there other states that are also yeah, nations, right? Right, but actually, it's that's not that's not technically true. No, it's, it no. has been it has been discovered that there's this secret shadowy group that really? actually is doing these, and you know what that group is called? I I don't know. This is breaking news. I was unaware of this shadowy group. The Illuminati. Wow. Yes. Yep. I'm just going to let that sit out there and just there you go. ruminate on that. That's uh, This is for you, David. <laughs> this is all for you, buddy. Wow. So um so yeah, let's uh let's go ahead and get into some stories. I've got more, by the way. I don't I don't think anybody's left. I think they all just turned us off. That's, that's okay. We'll keep going. All right. I'm going to soldier on. The, just the, like a, what was that? What was that again? Say it for me again. The Illuminati. The Illuminati. Mm-hmm. Yes. So uh, our first story tonight comes from tripwire.com, and the title is, and by the way, you know, we should have some sirens going for this one. Cisco patches critical ASI Ike buffer vul- vulnerability, buffer overflow vulnerability. And, uh, you know, the most sad thing or sad part about this is that, uh, you know, Eisenhower, Dwight Eisenhower, has got to be... And just rolling in his grave about this protocol named after him. 
I don't I don't know that it was named after him, actually. I'm not sure of that fact. What? Have what? we have we checked that on Wikipedia? It's called Ike. I, has anyone checked Snoops.com? <laughs> Did you say Snoops? Snopes. Snopes. Snoops. Whatever. So uh, so yeah. All right. So so Dwight's uh, protocol. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm still I'm still recovering from your joke. Co- joke in quotes there. I, I just... Wow. Okay. So uh, this is huge, actually, for a remote code exploit on Cisco ASAs. And there's about a bazillion Cisco ASAs out in the world running yeah. on the edge of networks. That is absolutely right. And um, you know, I, I guess. It's it's uh, affects a, a very wide swath of um, versions of the firmware, or oh, versions yeah. of the software, and uh, and there's also I think a lot of debate about what it actually takes to mitigate this. You know, so it's not necessarily that you can put a, and this is by the way been the topic of some debate is can you just filter out, you know, uh, uh, port five hundred or forty five hundred to only the IP addresses you want, and some of the debate has been well. Does uh, you know? Does that ingestion happen before the ACLs are applied? I don't actually know the truth. But... Right. So, which order is it applied on the stack when it's coming in through the interface? Yeah, and and that yeah. kind of makes you know that's that's problematic because on the one hand, if you you can say, well, if most people these days only use IPsec for point-to-point VPNs, and so you really don't need to have these ports kind of open to the world. You know, you don't need people ra- coming randomly sending you port 500 or 4500 traffic. Um, and so you should be able to filter those down, but maybe but that doesn't tell work. You, the vast majority of people probably have that wide open because this is likely being used as a VPN concentrator. And for business reasons, people stand up and tear down VPNs all the time. Yeah, I and, suppose. And potentially, possibly, uh, remote clients uh, for desktop clients. I'm not sure if you're running something like Cisco AnyConnect coming into a Cisco ASA. I'd have to check what ports it comes in on, but it may be coming in on like 500 or uh, uh, UDP 500 as well. I'm pretty sure those are tunneled over uh, 443 now. I think they can be. I don't know that they have to be. Well, that's fair. Uh, so, yeah, I think a lot have gone SSL uh, for compatibility and, and ease of use reasons. But you're correct on the versions, huge swath of versions, 7.2, 8.2, 8.3, 8.4, 8.5, 8.6, 8.7, 9.0, 9.1, 9 9.2, 9.3, 9.4, 9.5. Huge uh, base running all that code. Yeah. <clears throat> so get this. It's a firewall with remote code execution possibility, right? There's there has Up to now, there hasn't been a proof of concept uh, released, and, and there hasn't been any known exploitation. Uh, a lot you, of scanning. Yeah, lots of scanning, as you might expect. Uh, but but no again no known exploits. I I have heard that there's an expectation that the you know when when an exploit is found it will probably be a denial service for a while and then uh, and then maybe somebody will figure out how to do remote code execution. But you know that I guess I think one of the really problematic things here, you know, it's tomato tomato right is that the this bug was disclosed through a blog post which was extremely detailed. And a fascinating read, by the way. I mean, I, I'm not no no dig on that person. Um, well, let's give him credit. Exodus Intelligence. There you go. Was the the, the group that found and reported this, um, and 
I guess, did responsible disclosure, quote-unquote, because there was patches released the same day their blog post went live. Yeah, I think I think that's right. Uh, but but the, uh, the, the write-up is ex- extremely detailed, very interesting. And also, I found it really interesting that uh, they don't use Cisco in their ASA operating system. They don't use DEP or... or um, you know, ASLR or anything like that, and and which is really what made this uh, become a real big problem because there's no mitigation. Yeah. So anyway, patch well, your stuff. Yeah, this is a pretty big deal. You rarely see this sort of thing happen, uh, and this bug has been out there for a really, really long time. So if I put my tinfoil hat on, it makes you wonder if this was a known zero day, possibly being exploited by anyone else. During you know many many years, this was out in production. Like maybe the Illuminati. Uh, how do they type? That's my question. I, I don't know. I mean, the hooves. They have the they, they they have they have people for that. Uh, human slaves serve the Illuminati. I, I I can only assume. Fascinating. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a pretty big deal. The other challenge is. You know, you get a lot of folks, how do I say this politically correctly? In general, I will say that folks who have come up through the Cisco ecosystem don't like to patch their stuff because it is a key component to the network infrastructure and they don't like downtime. And in general, if it isn't broken, don't patch it. So if you look at the tendency to patch a server versus a piece of networking gear. And this applies, by the way, also to other other firewalls in general. But Cisco folks in general seem highly reluctant to patch as a broad generalization compared to other types of sysadmins. I think that's right. There is another thing that I've I've come to understand. There's a... I, I don't fully understand all of the circumstances behind when this is a problem or not, but... Uh, some people are having to upgrade the amount of memory in their yes. routers in order Absolutely. to apply the patch. Well, it it I think it depends on what version they're running. Yes, that's it right? does. Yep. Yeah, and if you've got some really old gear, you may not. And if you're running, especially something that's out, you know, end of life that they didn't patch for, and there is some of that. If you look at their advisory. Uh, let's see if I can find it. Um, 7.2, 8 8.3, 8.5, and 8.6 are all end of software maintenance. So there is no patch for those, but they are vulnerable. So they may have to go to a, a newer version. Exactly. In, in order to go to a newer version, need a memory upgrade. Right. As, as I understand it, anyway. Which may not be trivial. That could be a problem. That's right. Now there is a there is as far as I understand a decent mitigation. We talked about the ACLs, but you can actually turn off the Ike Damon, uh, I guess, for le- for want of a better term. Yeah, if you're not using it, right? Yeah, it, you, you know, if you um, you can basically remove all the crypto maps, exactly, and yeah. um, it'll basically disable that functionality. But in general, again, I'm making a broad generalization. In general. You have to actively configure a crypto map on an ASA for it to be there, if I recall correctly. So it's not like somebody accidentally turned it on, most, like, most likely. 
Well, that's you know, I. I've heard d- conflicting stories on that, uh, okay, but I, I but I'm, I'm but I'm no, I'm more apt to you. Your side makes more sense because it seems like there'd be a lot of configuration behind having to set it up. But you know, again, typical. Well, that is my assumption, right? Having done this only a couple of times, I'm not a professional Cisco admin at all. Uh, but I know enough to be dangerous and fumble my way through it with Google searches. Whenever I've had to do a VPN termination on an ASA, it seemed like there was a lot of setup to turn that stuff on. Yeah. So who knows? Things might have changed. So please do your own research on that. Not take me as gospel on that one because I am not confident of that knowledge. Yep. And, uh, you know, get it fixed before uh, you catch the Internet on fire. Yeah, this is this is an interesting one. Um, pretty big deal. Yeah. So, um, so I have another question for you. Okay. What, what, I, what did, I'm ready. What did one llama say to the other llama just before lunchtime? Wow, the, the possibilities are endless as to what one llama... Tell me, Jerry, what did one llama say to the other llama just before lunchtime? Let's have a picnic. I'll pack a lunch. Wow. Yep. There you go, David. All right. Our comedy roadshow will be kicking off in the fall. That's right. Moving. Visiting many, many key cities. So moving like on. Spokane. Gary. Grand Rapids. Gary, Indiana. <laughs> yep. That's right. So uh, next story comes from securityweek.com, and the title oh. is we, we Can't Give Up on Preventing Breaches and Don't Give Up on This Podcast. Thank God there's another story. I have most of my notes, by the way, are around this story. All right. So, um, you, you know, the, basically the, the gist of the story is we in the information security industry have become so damn enamored with detection and cleanup that we are, uh, we've abandoned protection. And, uh, and, and that's just, a t- it's a terrible thing because, you know, if you don't, as he says, you know, the the axiom of uh, prevention beating cure is definitely true. And, and therefore, you know, we really need to right our ship and get back to the business of protecting ourselves. And particularly, if you hadn't known, the the attack trends have moved away from the infrastructure and onto workstations. So Right. And and why have they moved? Well, because the the data centers have become very sophisticated and well protected. Right. Yes. Right, right. Sure. Yeah. And they don't have Cisco's with big gaping fiery holes in front of them anymore. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. Speaking of gig big gaping fiery holes. Yep. Don't go there. Let's not go there. Regular listeners can't complete that joke. <laughs> so um you know on, on, I'm of two minds on this one. On the one hand, you know, we can't abandon prevention. He's he's right. But on the other hand, I'm not sure that we have. I think that we have to be realistic and say you you can't run a show or you can't run a shop and you know completely block everything. And and so you you at some point you have to focus on 
you know, on, on detect on early detection, and that's what you know we've talked a lot about. And it's disappointing to see that focus being interpreted in this way. So I don't know what what, what you said. You have a lot of notes. What do you have? I pretty much eviscerated this story. <clears throat> have at it. It's, it's going to look like a, a llama roadkill when I'm done with it. That sounds nasty. It does. So. A couple of quotes in here I want to I want to pick out. So he starts off very quickly by saying that we have given up on preventative technology and have decided that data breaches are inevitable and that we've quote shifted the lion's share of new spending into identification and cleanup and are now neither demanding nor expecting uh, that investments will prevent security incidents in the first place. I completely disagree with that statement. I do not think that's accurate at all. I don't think we've, we're spending the vast, vast majority of our money on breach detection. I, I would say we're probably 80% on prevention because that is what is driving uh, – let me say this another way. Our spending is being driven by what boards, auditors, compliance, and regulators demand. And the vast majority of those four constituencies demand breach prevention, not breach detection today. Now, we as an industry talk a lot about shifting to breach detection and breach containment because we as an industry have realized that that prevention as a sole technique is failing and that there are ways that are going to continue to happen to get around breach prevention. So breach detection makes sense to augment breach prevention. However, in no way, shape, or form do I think that the vast majority of our spending is going towards uh, breach detection and containment. I think that's complete BS. Um, and, and I also don't think that we are not, you know, expecting things out of our technologies. I think that our technologies that we have bought for breach prevention um, have been defeated. And it's an arms race that's going to continue. And it's, he makes it sound so simplistic. And we're just not demand, we're just not putting enough pressure on our vendors to give us Adequate tools. Yeah, I, I will say in his defense, he does. It's a subtle thing, but he does say that the vast majority of new spend. So think about the difference between you know last year it was let's say seventy billion, and this year is five million. He's saying that most of that extra five billion in spending went to detection and cleanup versus. I don't think he spent saying that we. Anyway, maybe I'm. I def- I, I, I still don't know if that's true. Yeah. I, I don't think that's what's getting approved by boards and getting approved by CFOs and getting approved by I, – I just don't because I don't think that the compelling third-party drive is there yet. I mean we talk a lot about it, and we're, we're playing with that, and a lot of VC money is going there, and there's a lot of work in that area, but I don't think it is catching the lion's share of spend right now. But threat intelligence. Yeah, we'll get to that. Um then he goes on to say that in the mid-1990s, most common attacks were against service infrastructure. That's where the important data was. They could just go there and get it. But that was 20 years ago. Security for servers and hosting centers is now much better understood, and the problem is manageable with limited number of authorized user systems and predictable connections and transactions. Advances in security have created more secure data centers that are well-known and there are well-known best practices for locking down central shared resources against direct attack. I want to live in his happy world. Like putting an ASA in front of it. <laughs> I, and, then he, and then he goes on to say, you know, in turn, now, 
the bad guys have shifted to the endpoints because they're not protected because the servers are too protected. And I would again call BS. Yeah, you know, the, when I was when I read this story, the th- the thought that came to my mind was, we should really stop making coal power plant, coal fired power plants, because someday we will have fusion power. <laughs> right. So maybe my, my comment on this is the attackers still want the data on the servers. They still want it. The reason they go after the endpoint is not because the servers are so much better defended. Uh, but because of the rise of the always internet-connected, highly vulnerable endpoints, right, and th- that are that are highly dynamic, that are, you know, Flash and Java and every other mass remote access tool that you want, th- that's making it so much easier to get in that way. So the bad guys just go where it's easy, and endpoints are easy to get to, and then they pivot to go after the servers, right? It, uh, they still want the same thing, and then he talks about predictable transactions connections, and, and I'm like, really? I would challenge you to show me an organization of of any size over a thousand users that can cleanly and easily baseline their server connections and know what's an anomaly without using baseline detection tools. Look, he's all he's saying is that stop the ta- stop those attacks at the workstation. Like put it in the little micro hypervisor that wraps around your browser and just stop it there. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> Hold your horses. I got, I got more. I got more ranting to do first. So he's calling data centers more secure. I, I compared to what? I mean, the state of security has advanced, but so has the state of attacks. And how often do you see that uh, servers are not necessarily segregated from the user networks? See that from time to time. I'm not so sure. If anything, I think we've decentralized more and moved more stuff to the cloud. And we don't have this tight privileged control around our happy little data centers like we used to. Uh, I don't think we have clean little server segments anymore. I think stuff's all over the place. So, uh, and and by the way, uh, he also quotes a Ponymon survey, which I know absolutely you love. So, you know, for those playing the... Very, very reliable and accurate, yes. For those playing the drinking game at home, drink Ponymon survey. uh, Talking about... Over the average time to detect, 14 weeks, uh, a breach. So to sum up, I have two final points. I told you I had a lot to say about this article. Yes, prevention beats cure, but I would not say that an industry we even close to being too far in the breach detection side of things. Not even close. I would say 85 to 90% of our spend in energy and time uh, is on breach prevention. Yeah. Yep. And, and you know, whether it's vulnerability management, whether it's firewalls, whether it's, you know... Uh, antivirus. Wax, antivirus. Yep. <clears throat> and finally, to sum up, the author of this article, Jack Danahy, co-founder and CTO of, wait for it, an endpoint security company called Barclay. Wait, I can't believe that. Mm -hmm. Wow. So here's my point. When you read these articles, you don't know when you're reading somebody's marketing pitch. You don't know if they're believing their own internal echo chamber. 
I have worked for startups. I have been there. These sorts of thought through lines and these sorts of viewpoints are exactly what marketing, product management, and executive boards come up with to justify the valuation of their companies and to sell their product. So I'm not saying it's necessarily completely wrong that somebody who has a vested interest writes these articles. But what I'm saying is you have to look at who writes these articles and understand what their motivation is. Well, that's, that's a good point. Um, and which, yeah, is, uh, which is why we don't take right. vendor, um, you know, sponsorship on the show. Uh, th- that's right. And, that, you know, and all of them hate us. Well, we've, we have pissed every single one off. So, mm-hmm. um, there's a stealth startup in Santa Monica that we haven't pissed off yet. <laughs> they'll, they'll come onto the radar soon. So, so anyway, point being, this guy's viewpoint is, for lack of a better term, he's, he's looking at the market as if it was 10 years from now, projected down the path they think they're going on. But in his mind, this is reality. I'm not saying that he thinks he's blowing smoke, but you get in this echo chamber internally when you start coming up with all these objection handling routines and, and what is our market space and what is the problem we're trying to solve and what is the problem we can solve, and it becomes the reality of a vendor. And then they view everything through the glasses of their reality, and you have to be careful about that. That, by the way, is the one thing you should take away from this show. <laughs> Sorry, I, I told you I had a bit of a rant on this one. But once again, the vendors will define the problem space as the problem they can solve, not the problem the customer has. That's right. They'll All help right. you understand the problem. <laughs> All right, I'm done. That was, that was it. That's my rant on that one. That's okay. Well, I've got another story for you. Uh, another story or another question? It's a, it, this one's a story. Okay. All right. Please. I wanted to tell you about a time that last year I went to uh, to see the Tigers. My my family's you know, they're big fans of the Detroit Tigers. You know, since we grew up in Detroit, we mm-hmm. went to spring training game down there and sitting in the in the stands watching the game. And you know, I was paying attention to them throwing the ball around, and I'm like, why is the ball getting so big? And then it hit me. So moving on. Our next story <laughs> comes David, from... David, I want you to know this is your fault, David. You caused this, David. You know what you did. Think about what you've done. The next one comes from CSO Online, and the title is Ransomware Takes Hollywood Hospital Offline, $3.6 million Demanded by Attackers. Dear faithful listener, I want to tell you as well that he did not warn me or prepare me for any of these so-called jokes. None of them. This is my live, unvarnished reaction. Is that what you call it? So, the uh, the Hollywood Presbyterian Medical Center in, uh, of all places, Hollywood, California, uh, apparently fell victim to an unnamed ransomware attack. Yeah, light on details. Uh, but, but but apparently it's it's really pervasive and has has taken down just um, you know I guess as they describe most of their systems are inoperable. They've had to divert past, um, patients to other hospitals and they've had to uh, you know send send patients that were already there uh, to other hospitals. So really a pretty significant kind of attack. There is a um, you know, an anonymous consultant who gave a, a 
a bit of data that the, the there was a ransom being held for 9,000 bitcoins to unlock these computers. And, the, you know, the one thing that that came to my mind was a story we talked about, I guess it was last week, maybe the week before, about, um, I think it was the Dell, um, Dell SecureWorks had talked about a breach they had responded to. And in that case, the, the there was a, a, a failed attempt to push out, to, you know, do a mass distribution of um, ransomware. And, you know, I, I have to wonder, you know, is that, is, is this becoming a thing now? And well, that Dell SecureWorks post never gave us any details as to why they suspected that the ransomware was a distraction from some other attack. But yeah. Well, no, I mean, let, let's put aside for a second the distraction from another attack but, okay. and, and focus back on, you know, just hitting a, hitting an organization hard with a mass ransomware right. campaign. You know, maybe the th- the the in vogue thing now is to you know get into your uh, SCCM or whatever your know, land desk whatever whatever centralized sy- system you have to manage your endpoints and push out uh, push out some ransomware and lock everybody's computer and all their data and then hold them for ransom because you know basically as this hospital is uh, they're shut down. Indeed, I I will say that. I think 3.6 million is really rich. Uh, I think it actually massively decreases their chances of getting that ransom. One thing we saw early on in the, the rise of ransomware was it appeared that uh, the bad guys were trying to find the right market level for their ransom so that it was less painful to pay than do something else. When you're asking for 3.6 million, a lot of executives are going to look at some other options first. Yeah, <clears throat> we've been thinking about upgrading our IT for a while now. Right. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I'm not trying to give the ransomware guys any advice, but uh, you know, don't get greedy, guys. The, the there is another side to this, or another another thought that I had. That what if that 3.6 million dollars is not like a single ransom demand, but what if they had I don't know 100 or you know let's say a thousand PCs you know, asking for a couple hundred dollars each. And That's possible. It just happened to add up to... Nine, ha- yeah. Yeah. Right. Is it 900 or 9,000? 9, 9,000 bitcoins. bitcoins. <clears throat> that could be. And Maybe they have 9,000 systems and each have a ransom of one bitcoin. I don't know. It's possible. Uh, no no details. But, you know, I, th- I think yeah. that, you know, here's the, here's the, the deal, right? I mean, we now... We're starting to see it, I think, at least in my mind, a trend related to ran, you know, to, to ransomware, and it's pretty effective. There's lots of different variants. There's an inf- almost infinite number of ways for this stuff to get into your environment, and um, you know, I, I think the attackers are going to continue getting more creative at monetizing it, and this basically paralyzes your business like almost no other attack can. That's true. So, speaking of Sony, uh, I don't think we're covering it today, but I did see an article that the Sony hackers may be alive, well, and kicking. I did see that, yes. But if they're North Korea, dot, well, dot. well, actually, I think was wasn't the um, the alleged victims of the continued hijinks of these attackers uh, aimed at South Korea? I'm just saying. Sony Truther. 
Maybe, maybe the Illuminati. See, I can't even see it. Had something to do with it. Could be. Mm-hmm. Could very well be. Uh, so did I ever tell you about the time I got fired from a job? Was it for telling bad jokes? No, no. I worked at a calendar factory, and they fired me for taking some days off. Wow. So, moving on to our last story. This one comes from Ars Technica, and the title is Clever Bank Hack Allowed Crooks to Make Unlimited ATM Withdrawals. I may start cutting myself again. Okay. I'm sorry. Not sorry enough to stop telling bad jokes, but I'm sorry anyway. Please, please don't write an iTunes review on this show, anyone, please. Yeah. If this is your first if this is your first show I, I, <laughs> it'll probably I, be your last. I highly recommend that you go re- go listen to some other ones. Probably not <laughs> one twenty eight, but This is what happens when someone calls us out on Twitter. This is this is the power of Twitter. Uh, I'm just having fun. I, 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 I'm glad it's fun for you. I'm in literal pain. <laughs> I think very highly of David. He's he's a, he's become a Twitter friend of mine. But you know, hey, I'm having fun. So let's let's go. This um, here's the here's the deal. Uh, there is a banking attack group called Metal M E T E L. And they have a fairly sophisticated set of cyber attack tools that look an awful lot like uh, what used to be called APTs. And this article describes uh, a report, I think it was done by Kaspersky Labs, about the cap- some of the capabilities of this tool, which has like 30 separate modules that do different things. And they talk about a particular case, which I thought was really interesting and and kind of highlights the sophistication of um, just I, I don't I won't say garden variety criminals, but you know the 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 financially motivated criminals versus you know the nation state hackers. So so the deal is this um, this malware got into a bank, an unknown bank. I think I guess it was a Russian bank. Uh, somehow, it's theorized it was either through uh, a watering hole, web-based attack, or phishing emails. Um, they, the attackers, moved laterally through the company's network. Uh, it's not said in here, but in another article I read, they, it was basically blamed on PowerShell. They were using PowerShell, um, and ended up planting a piece of malware that would back out. ATM transactions for particular ATM cards. And and effectively what it allowed them allowed these attackers to do was they they had they set up an account with that had some money and they gave a debit card to a money mule and they sent the money mule to a you know a a, a bank ATM and they that person withdrew some money the um, the malware reversed the transaction the, the mule went to an ATM at a different, like I guess a different brand, different bank brand, and did the same thing and kept doing it over and over and over again. And, um, you know, really highly effective. And I think that the, what was most interesting to me is, is the intersection of malware and, you know, kind of the, 
more advanced cybery types of attacks with business attacks on business processes and and um you know i i think this by the way i i there, there, i don't remember ex- the exact amount of time but you know the the attackers here left or waited a fair amount of time before or between when they first got in and when they actually started uh cleaning out the atms uh but point is that this is becoming a much more lucrative and much more sophisticated uh, organization, you know, organized crime type of thing. And so I think we're, you know, as an industry, we need to be prepared for, um, you know, the, the, the sophistication of attackers in the, um, in, in the space that the average organization has to worry about is going up dramatically. Agreed. hundred percent. And this is something why we always sort of scoffed at. It must be state sponsored. Uh, it's just not true. They've been saying this for years and years about various different attacks. Probably there's some out there that certainly were and, and could only be. But the vast majority that I feel were alleged to have to have been state-sponsored, I disagreed with that assessment because the bad guys are financially motivated and they've got clever, smart programmers. And it's such a collaborative effort now when you've got these these kits being built and updated and maintained. Uh, it's a whole ecosystem of continually evolving and advancing malware. And so here... When you're looking at something that's got 30 different modules that uh, tailored to the computer, it's infecting. It's, it's a real hands-off kind of uh, smart, sophisticated methodology that they can throw at somebody. It doesn't need to be nation-state to do this. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, the bad guys are going to go where the money is. That's what it really comes down to. And uh, here they're going after financial institutions. And what's really interesting about this that, that occurs to me is, you know, this was all Russia-based, uh, 29 organizations in Russia. But in the U.S., in general, we have a fairly regulated and common business practice around banking and fairly typical best practices. I wonder if that could ever be used against us in terms of tailoring malware and and like you mentioned here, having good business sense around the business practices. If the majority of our banking institutions are following similar business practices, I wonder if that makes a malware attack more successful because they sort of have some advanced recon already done by knowing what sort of techniques and business tactics uh, most of our banks employ. I I strongly suspect there is some possibility there. I do wonder, though, if... um... If this is kind of where the th- maybe some of the threat intel FSISAC-y type stuff starts to come in, you know, because it, again, if you are a homogenous type organ, uh, uh, right, vertical, right, maybe maybe that's where it can help. Yeah, uh, most of the stuff on the FSISAC uh, portal and mailing lists are confidential, uh, so in theory. The, the concept is that you would share information amongst the members of the ISAC, and the FS ISAC is the Financial Services ISAC, if you're not familiar. And the ISAC, by the way, is a series of groups set up by, I think, the FBI? Who set them up originally? I can't remember. Was um was the uh, Department of Homeland Security, wasn't it? Uh, okay. But anyway, it's, it's specific verticals uh, share information amongst themselves in general, basically, about their specific threat vectors and threats. So it's it's... You know, it is threat intelligence, but it's 
you know, not not like a packaged vendor offering. Right. But uh, just for those who may not be familiar with the ISAC uh, structures, some 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 are well regarded, some are not. I guess it depends on the vertical. Yeah, the financial services one is is probably one of the more organized and well run, from what I've seen at least. Uh, but there are you know, there are uh, lots of them, and I think they are tending uh, to to mature pretty rapidly right now in in the the current environment. Unlike your jokes. Well, that's probably true. <laughs> um, so anyway, I I I just. I really think, and I've I've talked a lot about this in the past, but uh, all of these, you know, all of these uh, attacks kind of feed on each other. And so, you know, when when we learn about something that the NSA did, or or uh, the Mossad did, or you know, MI5 or MI6 did, or GCHQ or whatever, you know, the bad guys are watching. Right, and I'm not saying that they shouldn't. We shouldn't talk about that stuff. I'm, I guess I'm just saying that there are a lot of opportunities for attackers to refine, to become very refined in their techniques, and they seem to be taking advantage of them. And that's going to make our jobs a hell of a lot harder going forward. And we need to get ready. Yeah, the only thing I would say is there's like anything a bell curve of attacker sophistication. So not all attackers are moving up the bell curve at the same rate. Well, that 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 is true, with the exception that a lot of this stuff is becoming also as a serviceified, you know. So they're they're right, and that and that's the that's one of the things that is probably most concerning to me is that you're right. There are, you know, the, there are not a lot of super sophisticated criminals out there, and unfortunately for us, a lot of the ones that are, you know, have figured out that they can distance themselves from. You know the, the, you know the the dangers of of law enforcement by just offering up the tools for other people to go and use. So, although Indeed. even even that, you know, we've we have seen a number of exploit kit authors being arrested recently, and and so, you know, it's not without its risks. But I I do think it's a it's a problematic development. Yep, I would agree. And like anything, it's going to continue to be an arms race. Indeed, indeed. So, uh, so I have one more for you. Oh yeah. Before we go, yeah, that's right. And uh, it's not a story. It's well, it's kind of a little story. But I, I was at a, I was at the grocery store the other day. Just so you know, there I have one more actually useful thing to add to the show. After, so please stay with us. Please, okay. Don't don't quit yet because I'm going to give a Norse Corp update, which is actually kind of interesting. Oh yeah. So if you can suffer through whatever it is Jerry's about to do. There might be a reward. Fortunately, most podcast podcast apps have a fast forward or skip forward button. Just saying. Okay, go ahead, Jerry. Yeah, you'll want to hit that button in like maybe twenty seconds. So, so anyway, I was at the so at the grocery store. I was in the uh, it was in like the the vegetarian section, you know, where they yeah. have the veggie burgers and stuff. And sure. and a lady, it's like it's Jerry, and she's like, I you know I know you, and 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 I'm like I, you know. Who is this? And uh, you know, as it as it turns out, she thinks she knows me, right? But in reality, I had never uh, met her before. So anyway, Norris, go ahead. 
I'm going to need a minute. All right, so I was curious what was shaking with Norse Corp. So I did a did a little little Google searching, and found a article put out by the Wall Street Journal CIO Report, which is one of their blogs, uh, called Norse. <clears throat> excuse me, Norse names new CEO after a series of management problems, and this was put out on February 11th. And so you know, hopefully everybody's following the Norse Corp, where they disappeared and came back and craziness ensued and they fired their old CEO and there's now a new president, Howard A. Bain, probably not Bain from the Batman fame, but nonetheless, new president, CEO, interim CFO. Uh, so lots of interesting stuff in here. And the one thing I wanted to pull out there, it's worth reading, but just in the interest of time, uh, there's this one paragraph I want to read that was new, I think, to the story. Quote, the last few weeks have been what Mr. Bain described to CIO Journal as a perfect storm, which included the sales miss, scuttled investment, large-scale layoffs, a management change, now here's the important part, and a so-called DNS attack by hackers that knocked its website and attack map offline and brought down its internal email systems for about a week. The company is still repairing the damage, said Mr. Bain. There are now about 40 employees at the company. Uh, said Mr. Bain. At its height last year, there were 92 employees. So when their website and attack map went down, we all assumed that it had something to do with the organization having issues. They're now alleging that this was some kind of DNS attack. Now, if it attacked, if it took down multiple websites and email, that seems to me like their main A records got scuttled or blocked for some reason because the MX records were blocked, the DNS was blocked. I don't know. I would like to go back in time uh, if I could and actually do some DNS lookups and see what was going on at the time this occurred. Uh, but uh, that's interesting news to me. I wonder if someone hijacked their domain, <clears throat> some, something like that. It's uh, hard, hard to say. I mean, it, it, I would imagine if you are having a great organizational strife and someone attacks you, you know, it, it's probably going to impact your ability to respond, especially if you're, you know, if you had to lay off your, many of your response people. Yeah, certainly. And I will say from my experience, Ivosec startups have, uh, typically don't invest heavily in dedicated IT. They usually are doing double duty with various folks. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's, it's, it comes back to the, to the deal of, do you let a few people go or do you let every, let everybody go? And, and so, right. Right, right. It's, uh, it's an unfortunate thing. So, um, yes, the story, the story continues to unfold. You know what was most interesting though is that that story came out and nobody really that didn't make news. I mean, that seems like something that would have been very newsworthy. I agree. Uh, I that's why I tweeted it out. I normally, you know, Norse stuff gets pretty popularly spread around, at least within the Twitter circles we circle in, but not this one. So I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting. I will say that the attack map and the website is up and functioning right now. And they, for all intents and purposes, appear to be a going concern and are charging forward. Back in business. You know, it is uh, it is interesting, though, that they didn't see that coming with the map and all. <laughs> that, that is actually what somebody <laughs> replied when I tweeted that out. So oh, the map okay. see this coming? It's, like, it's funny. <laughs> That's, that is funny. Hey, you had a good joke, Jerry. Good job. Damn it. 
but somebody else got it before me. <laughs> oh well. So anyway, yeah, that was our uh, our show. Please forgive us. Let's not do that again. Wow. Anyway, you know, after 150 episodes, you got to do something to spice I, it up. I, uh, I I would not recommend emailing us after this episode. <laughs> I would not recommend leaving iTunes feedback after this episode. Although However, I will say we did get some really nice iTunes feedback recently. We did. We did. Thank you, whoever posted that. Thank you. We, we, we you know, you would think after a while it sort of, you know, doesn't have the same effect. But every time we get a, a glowing review or kind words, it's it's awe-inspiring and humbling, and, and we really, really do appreciate it. It, it definitely is. And, you know, that's... At least for me, that's why I do it. I, I love uh, love help, helping people. I love hearing that we help people. Um, you know, I, we got we got some comments that, uh, um, that just the first part of our discussion last week helped someone with their uh, vulnerability management program. So, that's great, and I do it because the judge ordered it as community service. But you know, well, I mean, we all have our reasons. So anyway, uh, you can find the links to the stories we talked about on our website, www.defensivesecurity.org. And, uh, you know, with that, we will talk again next week, hopefully with, um, you know, some better jokes. So thanks a lot. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. See you soon. See ya. What? Hello, Grandpa. I'm not wearing any pants. So, basically, normal Monday night, huh? My feet smell like cheese. Feel free to retweet that. And by that, I mean you better fucking retweet that, bitch. Wow. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.